Memory is king. The cost of memory and disk capacity are both decreasing every year, but only the throughput of memory is increasing exponentially. This trend is driving opportunity in the space of big data processing. Aluxio is an open-source, memory-centric, distributed, and reliable storage system enabling data sharing across clusters at memory speed. Aluxio used to be known as Tachyon, so you may be familiar with that uh, terminology. Yuan Li is the creator of Aluxio, and he is the guest on today's episode of Software Engineering Daily. Yuan was a member of the Berkeley Amp Lab, which is the same research facility from which Apache Mesos and Apache Spark were born. In this episode, we discuss Aluxio, Spark, Hadoop, and the evolution of the data center software architecture. If you're a fan of Software Engineering Daily, we want to know how to improve. Please take five minutes to fill out our listener survey. There is a link to the survey in our newsletter and on our website, softwareengineeringdaily.com. We really want to know what you like and what you hate about this show. Like, Please just let us know so we can improve and make the best software podcast possible. Aluxio is an open-source, memory-centric, distributed, and reliable storage system enabling data sharing across clusters at memory speed. Aluxio was formerly known as Tachyon. Yuan Li is the creator of Aluxio. Yuan was a member of the Berkeley Amp Lab, which is the same research facility from which Apache Mesos and Apache Spark were born. Uh, Yuan also goes by HY. HY, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. Um, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So you've said that memory is a king, and there is a trend that motivates you to say that memory is king. So the cost of memory and disk capacity are both decreasing every year, but only the throughput of memory is increasing exponentially. So Give some more color on this trend. Why is the growing throughput of memory so important to the big data stack? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a great question. So what we're seeing is, as you said, both memory and uh, disk uh, price uh, goes down. And the memory cr- price goes down like by 50% every 18 months. And uh, on the other side, on the other side, only memory performance is still increasingly increasing um, exponentially every year. So why this is important? Because the data is also growing exponentially. So this means that um, the memory memory speed will keep growing along with the data along with the data uh, data size growing. So you can do more uh, data access by exponentially more data access. At the same time, that's the reason why this is uh, this trend is so important. Why we're saying memory is the king, and uh, from a Luxio perspective, because we see this um, and we view memory as the uh, as the primary storage media, and we 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 design our architecture to be a memory centric architecture to leverage memory performance as much as possible. That's uh, that's the thing we're seeing, and this trend, like at the beginning of a two thousand, like Wall Street companies, they start to leverage the memory, a DRAM, uh, aggressively, 
And uh, in, two in 2010, around that time, the company like Baidu, uh, like, uh, like Google, those internet giants, they start to leverage the memory uh, aggressively as well. And what we are seeing is now the industry, the whole industry is moving into this direction. And, uh, and uh, we, we are the uh, leading memory-centric uh, solution uh, for storage. Before we get into talking about Alexio mm-hmm. in more depth, I want to mm-hmm. first talk about file systems and storage to get mm-hmm. a historical context in order to understand the breakthroughs that Alexio makes. Mm-hmm. So let's go into the past a little bit. Mm-hmm. Historically, we've had to make trade-offs along what is called the memory hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Could you give a brief overview of how the memory hierarchy has evolved and how this relates to the modern Hadoop or the modern big data stack? Yeah, so traditionally, all the stor- a lot of storage systems in history, and in some of these storage systems, they have the they have the hierarchy. They all have the hierarchy. And even inside of every single machine, you have level one cache, you have level two, level three, you have DRAM, and then you have some storage in your PC, in your laptop, like SSD, like disks. So basically, it's just uh, people put hot data, hotter data in the, uh, in the higher layer, in the hierarchy, and uh, to leverage their performance. Uh, that's, that's what has been happening. This has been true um, since the beginning of this uh, of the storage systems, so but what recently really happened is that uh, like along with the increase of the memory capacity, along with the distributed along with the popularity of the distributed computing, as well as the increase increase of the data size, what we are seeing is that um, because of the larger memory and the, and the cl- a larger memory, like like every single machine, uh, they have more memory space left for storage, for storage. So what we're seeing is that a lot of companies, they are buying machines with uh, 256 gigabytes memory or even half terabytes memory for, per server. So when you have a like, uh, like server, when you have a cluster of this type of servers, like 100 servers, so you will have 50 gigabytes uh, memory space you need to manage for you need to manage, and it's very intuitive in this sense that we need to have a storage system, which w- distribute a storage system which can leverage this giant memory space. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's the a thing we see, mm. and uh, and because this space is much much larger, um, like it's uh, very intuitive uh, for people to be able to leverage this bigger and bigger memory size to do a memory-centric storage and computing. And if memory usage is getting more appealing, mm-hmm. does this mean that we should start migrating all of the functionality of disk to RAM? Mm, um, it's, not, um, it's not really like, a, like a removing disk from the picture per se. It's more about like saying, how do we leverage uh, the more and more resource from DRAM. So since people, DRAM is great. Uh, people will move more and more data, hot data, into the memory. And uh, along with our like tier storage, people will leverage more of SSD as well. But in the meantime, people now see more disk, HDD, as a backup, like uh, um, as a backup storage. 
and uh, it's not being removed from the picture. Yeah, just uh, the functionality, the main goal becomes different. Uh, they serve a different purpose. So let's start to talk more specifically about the use cases of Alexio and how it works. In the current big data ecosystem, we have many frameworks, and mm-hmm. they already leverage memory in certain ways, but file sharing among jobs mm-hmm. is replicated to disk because mm-hmm. replication enables fault tolerance, mm-hmm. and there are always faults in distributed computing. Things mm-hmm. just break. Um, so what are the problems with mm-hmm. needing to replicate to disk? And or perhaps we should start with what are the prototypical types of, of cases, maybe uh, Spark jobs or Spark plus MapReduce jobs mm-hmm. working together where mm-hmm. we need to replicate to disk? Yeah, so traditionally these uh, systems, they use uh, replication to, uh, to store systems. They use replication to achieve the fault tolerance of the data. So what we are really doing here is that um, like along with the new uh, announcement we had last week, uh, what we're really doing is that we see, as you mentioned, there are so many different computation frameworks. In the meantime, there are all kinds of uh, storage systems as well. So what you can see is that from the storage perspective, you have uh, like Amazon like S3, you have a Google Cloud Storage, you have EMC, you have NetApp, you have HDFS, you have a Gloucester and Ceph from a Red Hat. So you have all kinds of storage systems. So what we're really doing here is that we put ourselves between the, these all different uh, uh, persistent storage as well as the different, la- different competition frameworks. We put ourselves in the middle and we bring a lot of benefit to the whole ecosystem, especially to our customers. Um, so for example, for example, to the upper layer, to the upper layer, like uh, MapReduce, like Spark, like Presto, uh, all kinds of different computation frameworks. By working with uh, Alexio, they can really like access data uh, from any storage. What we say is uh, we enable any framework uh, talk to any storage, uh, talk to any data from any storage. And in the meantime, we bring we bring a lot of performance benefit. That's the benefit to the upper layer, and uh, the benefit to the lower layer. Similarly. Like uh, we can, if A storage work with us, they can suddenly uh, reach a lot of type of different workloads and applications. Anything supported by Alexio on top of us, if a storage system integrate with us, they will be able to work with those um, work with those uh, computation frameworks. And and in the meantime, <clears throat> in the meantime, we can also bring a lot of performance improvement. That's, uh, that's our benefit to upper layer and the lower layer. And another cool thing is that um, we call this the future-proven architecture, which means that no matter if you are a computation framework, and uh, if you look at the ecosystem, and later on there may be another storage system coming up, and uh, their company may, may buy another new storage systems. And by working with Alexio, as long as that new, as long as that new storage also being plugged in into the Alexio, and uh, and that like that that existing application will be able to access the data from the new storage systems, new storage system immediately. 
that's a, that's a strong benefit uh, as well. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the, the top layer and the mm-hmm. bottom layer. These are essentially mm-hmm. opposite sides of where Aluxio sits in the stack. So, uh, so mm-hmm. Aluxio is typically going to sit somewhere in the stack um, mm-hmm. where below it you have uh, HDFS or S3 or GlusterFS or all these other types mm-hmm. of, of, of um, typical data storage. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Aluxio is this layer between that layer and the higher level frameworks like Spark and mm-hmm. MapReduce and Flink or these other mm-hmm. these other types of data processing frameworks. Mm-hmm. So in order to get a finer idea of how Aluxio improves things, and just in mm-hmm. case in case listeners don't mm-hmm. don't quite understand some of the or have some of the context. So talk about how a a uh, like some sort of data science job perhaps or some sort of multi-step job where you have multiple steps of Spark or a step of uh, a Spark and then a MapReduce job working in Mm -hmm. conjunction and how that would work prior to Aluxio being in the Hadoop stack and how it would work after Aluxio is is involved. Yes, that's a a great great point. So without Aluxio, you know, we call ourselves a memory-centric virtual distributed storage. Uh, Without Aluxio, this different jobs, uh, they all interact with another uh, storage systems. Actually, what happens is that um, normally people need to move the data from different places, from different storage systems into one single storage system. And then uh, different jobs interact with that single storage system, right? So uh, in this interaction, as you said, there are different jobs in in our um, the, in the user's environment. The jobs could be written in one framework, could be written in multiple frameworks as well. So when, when they need to share the data, they have to read and write through a storage, as you mentioned, such as Amazon S3 or like uh, HDFS or like EMC NetApp storage. Um, and this sharing process is, uh, is slow. It's slow. And the ETL process um, from different storage into this one single storage is slow as well as um, complicated and time-consuming. So with Aluxio, what we can help here is that so you put Aluxio between the competition frameworks as well as these different storage systems in the middle. We present a unified namespace to our upper layer to our app layer, like Spark, like uh, MapReduce, Flink, uh, Presto. So they can suddenly access the data from different storage systems. In the, in the meantime, because we have this memory-centric architecture, we can, the, the, the framework interact has a very high bandwidth. We provide a very high bandwidth for the app layer to interact with the data stored in our space. So... So then what we really enable is that we, we first of all, uh, rename, re- remove this uh, costly like ETL process. And in the meantime, we provide a very high throughput to our upper layer to interact with the data. So make different jobs, different application jobs, uh, potentially written in different computation frameworks to be able to share the data 
very efficiently at high performance. So that's with us um, how, how it became differently. Talk more about the API or the the file system that uh, the file system p- protocol that you use to present this unified namespace to different frameworks. Yes, that's uh, that's great. So for the API, we provide different APIs uh, for people to access data from us. Um, uh, we have a native like file system API. Um, so it's a it's very it's a Java like file system API. Uh, any framework or any application can interact the data, uh, can interact with uh, with Alexio using our native file system API, and that provides the best performance as well. And on top of that, we build other APIs as well. For example, we have a Hadoop compatible uh, file system API as well. That means that any application or any framework, as long as they can work with a um, as long as they can work with the Hadoop file system API, they can work with us transparently without any code change. And that's what the, that's the second example. The third example would be actually from um, from um, Alexio 1.0 release. We have a Fuse API as well. Well, Fuse API as well. It's a joint work between us and IBM. So in the with the Fuse API. We enable much larger applications, much larger, much wider applications to be able to interact, access data from us. So that's a Fuse API. And what's more interesting is that we also provide a alpha version of the key value API uh, in the 1.0 release. So that means that people can also using key value interface to interact Alexio, with Alexio from 1.0. And we are working with a uh, um, like very big, like trial users uh, to uh, to to improve this feature along the way, and uh, what bec- uh, I just gave some several examples, and you can really think of like at our layer, people can easily build more APIs on top of us to provide different ways to access data, and we really encourage encourage the ecosystem uh, to do this. To provide more ways to access the data uh, from us, that means that you, they can access more data from different storage at a high speed, and uh, and we we are seeing uh, people are building different ways, more like particularly suitable for them to access access data from us. Yeah. Okay. So what we've been talking about is sort of the interface between Aluxio mm-hmm. and the things that operate on top of it. So mm-hmm. let's talk some about what happens beneath Aluxio. So Aluxio has under FS, which is yep. uh, a file system that mm-hmm. uh, interacts with S3 or HDFS mm-hmm. or these traditional mm-hmm. storage systems. Mm-hmm. So how? So what is under FS? First of all, was everything I said just accurate? Was that accurate? Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. Okay. So basically, we provide a very thin uh, API um, from our side. From our from from bottom of Alexio to be able to interact with any storage system. Um, so under storage uh, system, uh, from our perspective, is the, the layer below us, the layer below Alexio, and uh, and we from our position, we really want to work well with a lot of different under storage systems. That's based on the need from our 
um, from our users. And it's just very simple that you can see different users that they have different storage system deployed in their environment. And we just want to help them to be able to leverage that. So, from, from, so to, to make it simpler, just under storage system from our perspective, any storage um, um, the user have. And it can be, can be performed as our under storage. And we can load and save data into it. And to our users, to our users, it's totally transparent. And uh, we will handle the complexity to work with this uh, storage system, like these different storage systems. So you handle the complexity uh, regardless of whether it's S3 or HDFS or something else. Mm-hmm. But what is the so what are the what are the commonalities between those different types of interactions? Like under FS, I imagine the under FS interaction between S3 has some similarities between how under FS interacts with HDFS, but I imagine there are also differences. So maybe you could give some granularity on what is the relationship between under FS and these different storage systems? Yes, uh, definitely. So yes, they ha- they are different. They are different. They have different properties. And, uh, and they have different performance characteristics. And uh, we would normally like uh, leverage the existing infrastructure in our user's environment. And uh, then we enable more ways to access the data for, for that particular storage in the user, our user environment and po- provide a much better performance. And definitely for different storage systems like uh, Amazon S3 has a different property than HDFS from a diff- have a different property than like Ceph, Gloucester, uh, store, Gloucester file system. So that's up to the use cases in most cases, as well as up to the user's environment. If they already, if say they really value the performance of that under storage systems, so they may buy very like a high performance under storage. If they don't care, they may choose a cheaper solution. That's uh, more up to, like, up to our users. Our, and in the meantime, uh, depends on their requirements. Uh, from our side, from our side, um, definitely with different under storage systems, we have type of di- have some different integration as well. For certain under storage system, we have a more primitive integration because it's early. Uh, for certain other under storage systems, because a lot of user requests, uh, we may have a deeper integration. With a deeper integration, definitely it can improve the performance as well as the reliability. Uh, but uh, there are, we have many progress undergoing uh, for on this front. Now that we've talked about what goes on above Alexio and what goes uh-huh. on below Alexio, let's talk about Alexio itself. So, mm-hmm. tell me about the Alexio system architecture. Yeah. So we are a scale-out um, architecture, and uh, we are scale-out memory-centric architecture. So basically, uh, to simply speaking, it's uh, logically it's just a single master uh, architecture with a uh, with worker daemons running on the uh, on the every worker node, and um, it's it's like many other scale-out architecture. But the difference is that. Um, yeah, when in our architecture design, we focus a lot on the memory, uh, mem- memory-centric uh, front. Uh, in the meantime, 
that's that's one major difference. In the meantime, we have a lot of features in our space. Uh, for example, like tiered storage, uh, which I mentioned earlier, uh, which means that yes, we focus on the memory performance, but we also leverage other other tiers as well, like SSD, HDD, and this feature has been running in our uh, uh, in in the production environment for more than a year for some cluster more than 100 nodes, like Baidu. Uh, in the meantime, like we also do like master fault tolerance to guarantee there's a, to to guarantee there's no single point of failure. Um, that's the high level of our architecture. Okay, so Alexio has a master mm-hmm. and it has some number of workers, mm-hmm. and each worker has access to a RAM file system. Could mm-hmm. you describe this architecture in, in a little more detail sure. and give me an idea of, of what uh-huh. the responsibilities of the workers are, what their relationship is to the master, sure. and so on? Yeah, no problem. So for the worker, like say on every worker node, we run a Alexia worker daemon, which manages the local space, like local tier structure, uh, and uh, as well as it reports the status periodically to the master, as well as responds some... Uh, remote I.O. requests. That's a worker daemon. And beyond a worker daemon, we also run um, a RAM disk, a RAM disk on every single worker uh, machine. And uh, when they, when there is, when, whenever there is a data locality, uh, our Alexio client is going, to access, is going to access this RAM disk directly to get a full memory performance. Um, that's, uh, that's the worker part. And from the master part, uh, we our master mon- our master uh, node daemon ma- manages or keeps tracking the status of all the uh, workers' status, as well as uh, un- uh, as well as understanding uh, where the data where the data is, um, the data location information, and sometimes it will response uh, client request to ask for the for the location information of the data. Of course, it's handle metadata. How often do nodes fail in a typical cluster? Yeah, so so there are different types of failure. Um, so, like uh, if you say machine failure, um, it's uh, what we are seeing is uh, similar to how other company any distributed system is seeing. So, and we have mechanism to uh, to recover from that. For the system itself, for the software itself. Um, it's, uh, it depends on we, like, you know, whether you are using a, a stable release or you are using a, uh, like, a, like, a, like, a, uh, master branch, cutting edge master branch. And, uh, and this, we, we heard like what we heard from our users, uh, people are pretty happy about our software quality. Like say, for example, uh, like Baidu, they have been running us in their production for more than a year. Um, and uh, they, are, they had pre- pretty uh, uh, pleasant experience, uh, which we are very happy to hear. Yeah, but definitely uh, we are constantly, well, also constantly improving the, uh, the system from every single perspective, including, including the uh, uh, stability of the system. So we'll talk more about some of the company use cases later mm-hmm. on, uh, including Baidu. Uh-huh. I want to talk more about failures and what you do around failures. Mm-hmm. Aluxio's idea 
to prevent failure, well, I shouldn't say mm-hmm. to prevent failures, to deal with failures, is mm-hmm. similar to mm-hmm. uh, Spark's idea, which is the, the mm-hmm. lineage-based mm-hmm. recovery. Um, mm-hmm. What is lineage-based storage? Yes. So it basically simply means that like lineage just means that relationship among different data. Like say one concrete example would be uh, like say you have a program, it reads a bunch of files and writes a bunch of files as well. And this is a lineage uh, information in Alexio. Uh, by knowing that information, if any data got lost, Alexio will be able to relaunch necessary competition jobs to get the data back. But that's just a one way of how we handle this. Um, we, also, we can also we provide different options to our users, which, for example, like, like uh, you can do asynchronous persistence and use lineage to get the fault tolerance. Or you can use like, synchronous persistence, like, which means while writing into Alexio, Alexio also synchronously flush the data into our under storage, which also provides the reliability of the data. That's another way. And uh, a third way is actually like uh, in some cases, our user doesn't care the reliability of certain data. So they may simply choose, okay, I want to do the asynchronous uh, flush, but if some data got lost uh, because of machine failure, sure, who cares? So in some use cases, it's like that. And there are even more interesting use cases like say, for example, in, uh, in some industry, they have a regulation. They couldn't uh, save the data to the disk. And they can only put the data in memory, and we can help them uh, in that case as well. So it's more like we, pro- we provide a pretty flexible um, architecture for people to choose, provide them options to, for them to choose uh, the ways uh, best suitable for them, makes, makes most sense for them. So that's uh, the way we look at this. So uh, that's very interesting. I, I want to touch more on the lineage-based idea mm-hmm. because I think this this trend of lineage-based operations uh, mm-hmm. is is an important concept in distributed systems. Uh, yeah. you, you know, you see it in Spark and you see it in Alexio. I imagine we'll be seeing it for for a long time. So for People who may be newer to distributed systems, they may not understand, you know, when they're thinking about, like, just mm-hmm. replicating the data versus mm-hmm. having the lineage and recalculating. And, and, and in the event of a fault, mm-hmm. like if you compare the, mm-hmm. you know, simple data replication, if, mm-hmm. you, if you have a fault, you've got the data replicated so you can restore mm-hmm. the data. Um, mm-hmm. In the case of a fault in a lineage-based system, it seems like that would be a lot more complicated. You have to take all these past operations, recompute the data in order to get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, why is the lineage-based operation actually cheaper than just replicating uh, that data? I see. That's a great, great point. So, what made it possible? What made it possible or attractive is that in a big data world, uh, the data volume is really high. Um, and uh, replicating that, the cost of replicating it is much higher than recording the, inf- the lineage information. And uh, I agree uh, with what you said, that this, to handle this lineage information well is not an easy job. It's, uh, it's hard. 
what we we what we are doing is that like we provide the API for the upper layer, uh, basically the framework layers, to leverage this functionality uh, to do the integration. And uh, when they are after, if any computation framework integrate with us for that particular feature, so that basically means that any uh, application on top of that framework will be able to leverage this feature transparently. Transparently. So even though uh, the system itself could be compli- uh, system itself is hard, but most of the complexity is handled by uh, is handled by the computation framework developers instead of uh, application developers. We try to hide the complexity from the upper layer uh, as much as possible. Uh, but it's also it's also a uh, a ongoing uh, effort. You can always make it better and easier for other, for the for for the upper layer to consume. Yes. Why is it cheaper to maybe maybe I'm just rephrasing mm-hmm. the same question yeah. I just asked, uh-huh. but I, but I'm and maybe I'm naive. But why is it cheaper to do this lineage based strategy rather than just copying like replicating everything in memory? Like, couldn't you just have three copies of everything and have them in memory on mm-hmm. different nodes? <clears throat> yeah, you can. You can do that uh, in some cases, but say. As I said, like you have this big data, uh, big data environment, like your uh, binary program may be like a hundred megabytes, right? And the data that program is dealing with, the the input output, the output data, uh, the output data could be like hundreds of gigabytes, and it's a thousand times different. And then replicating that, first of all, you have you will see the the you will reach the bottleneck of the network. That's one issue. And the other issue is by replicating it in memory, like even though memory price is going down exponentially every year, but you still have limited uh, memory space. So by replicating it, you will consume a lot of memory space. Um, that's an that's a economical choice people can make. But by using our way, that, that's, that issue doesn't exist. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, in the event of a failure, and uh-huh. if you need to recompute from lineage rather than recomputing from a uh, you know a, a replicated type of system, uh-huh. how how time intensive is it to to recompute data from the lineage? That that depends. That depends on the application and depends on the it's it's <laughs> it's a uh, it's not an easy issue. It's not an easy issue. Um, but we like we do have ways to have provide some bound on that on that top on that on the, from that perspective, but in the meantime, um, I think this uh, this lineage feature uh, we started um, it's uh, it's what it's only one part of the system. Like if you look at the the whole system itself, or if you look at the new announcement we made, uh, it's now the system has progressed um, tremendously. Over the past, uh, over the oh, since the begin actually since the beginning of this project, uh, just give you some numbers. Uh, for example, like one one number. Let's just talk about the number of commits. Everyone can understand it. So now uh, the system has uh, around uh, let me see around uh, thirteen thousand. I think it's around thirteen uh, thousand commits. 
a year ago, it was uh, 3,000 commits. So over the past year, this increased like five times. And the community also grew very fast as well. So a year ago, we had uh, maybe uh, around 50, 60 contributors. Now we have more than 200 contributors. The growth has been tremendous, and we are presently surprised by this. And, um, and uh, we, we believe that with this growth, we'll, the, the community, and we, along with the community, will we'll add more um, like features and advantage, um, more features into the system, which brings more advantages or feature um, usage, use cases to our users. So that's, that's what we see. And uh, back to the lineage, po lineage point, that's the initial uh, feature we had. And now we have so, so much more. Okay. Like, like the one we discussed, like the tiered storage system. Like the one we discussed, like the, the unified namespace. So, or the different ways to access the data, like key value, uh, like Fuse API. It has been amazing yeah, to see this progress. Yeah, and um, so you know, I, I saw uh, uh -huh. several several talks as I was preparing for this interview. Several mm -hmm. talks that you gave, and and in each of these talks, you talked about the overarching goal with Aluxio, and it it, it seemed like um, you know many people asked you this question: What is the goal of Aluxio, formerly Tachyon? And, um, you know, for, at first glance, maybe the goal, you know, you might think, oh, the goal is just like this in-memory computing thing, but it's actually a little more abstract. So talk about the goals of Aluxio. Yes, definitely. So I think as a system, um, the number one goal is to bring more benefit to the ecosystem. So the way we do this is that, as I mentioned earlier, uh, before us, before us, there are two layers. One is the computation, the other one is the persistent storage. And there are issues with this, especially along with the growing on both sides. You have more different type storage systems, you have more different type computation frameworks. And in the meantime, sometimes, in, in many cases, performance is the issue. And as I said, we'll bring this new layer, um, which, which abstract these uh, under storage systems, and provide a unified namespace to the upper layer to make, make, them, to make the computation, to make the upper layer computation frameworks as, a, as a, well as applications easier to access data from any storage systems. So that's, uh, that's the benefit. In the meantime, we'll provide a much better performance. And, and our long-term vision is just to make this like become the de facto standard of this uh, unified uh, data access layer, data access layer, and in the meantime provide provide tremendous performance improvement to our users. That's our goal, and uh, we just in that case we can bring benefits to the whole ecosystem, to the to the framework uh, to the frameworks, different frameworks, uh, to different storage systems, and more importantly provide to our users. That's uh, that's the, the way we see this. So mm. let's talk about some of those benefits in practice. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, Aluxio obviously speeds things up, mm -hmm. and that propagates to the people working at the higher end of the big data stack. We mm -hmm. have data engineers and data mm -hmm. scientists. 
How mm-hmm. does the job of a data scientist or a data engineer, perhaps working with Spark uh, or some other set of tools, how does their job and their workflow change in a big data stack that is post-Aluxio? That's, that's a great, uh, great question. So I think there are, um, there, are different, there are a lot of perspectives, but there are some major ones. For example, like from the data scientist perspective, um, like on one side, Aluxio makes their life much easier. So because it's a unified namespace, they don't need to explicitly move data anymore. So they just simply tell Aluxio, I want to access this data. And then it will just be able to access it. That's one, one, one thing. They don't need to wait for two months or a month to, uh, to let people to transfer data for them. That's one side. And the other side, for any of these type of data access, um, after uh, the, the performance will be much better. You saw like, uh, like the Barclay wrote, wrote an article uh, like uh, maybe two weeks ago uh, published uh, on DZone. So the, uh, the article says that um, um, making the impossible possible with uh, Tachyon, back then we still talked Tachyon, with, with Aluxio. So uh, accelerating Spark applications from hours, hours to seconds, that's tremendous. So basically, you can think of like previously a, a day, they, they need to, like half of the day, their data scientists need to wait there to, to get this prepared. Now it became seconds. So this tremendously changed their working behavior to make it much more efficient and bring them competitive advantage uh, in their space. So yeah. that's, uh, that's uh, basically, in short, one, one thing is make, the life, make their life much easier and improve the performance tremendously. And uh, I think this unifi- unified layer, um, based on like my, one of my PhD co-advisor, Jan Stoika, he's also the, uh, uh, this, he's the co-creator of uh, Spark as well. Um, so he said, um, it's also in our press release, he said uh, uh, Aluxio to storage is more like, can be acknowledged to be uh, internet protocol layer, IP layer to, to uh, internet. And we can enable faster innovation and make people's life much easier. So that's, that's the way we see it. Yeah, what I find interesting, you know, when uh-huh. you go from taking an hour to run a Spark job mm-hmm. to seconds, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of traditionally, like at least when I was in school mm-hmm. five, five, six years ago, uh, mm-hmm. we always talked about things in terms of Moore's Law and having this uh, very predictable, you know, 18-month cycle of compute mm-hmm. time uh, or, you know, number of processors on disk doubling or, or, mm-hmm. or sorry, on, on a chip doubling or how, however you want to phrase it, you know, mm-hmm. compute power doubles every 18 months. Mm-hmm. But I feel like perhaps that set of trends was um, constricted by what occurred on the hardware layer because you had to have all these people moving in lockstep in order to orchestrate the hardware progressions. Mm-hmm. But when you make an advance at the software layer, it seems like perhaps you need less coordination and therefore you can get bigger step changes such as mm-hmm. what we're seeing with Aluxio. Do, does, that, does that idea resonate with you or do you think that's crazy? 
I mean, the hardware trend is always a, uh, I mean, so for, look at the whole industry. So it's improving from many different perspectives. The hardware is always, you always have a lot, a lot of innovation in the hardware, on the hardware side. But in the meantime, the software also adapt and improve themselves. So like take us an example, like we saw the trend of the DRAM. So we leverage the trend, we'll provide much better uh, hardware software and innovative like architecture to the industry. And what we are seeing is that we, we just uh, collaborate with the whole ecosystem to bring more benefit to our users. So that's, uh, that's the way we see it. Yeah. So with Aluxio, you know, you, you, you've mentioned there's, there is still cases where you do want to store to disk. Um, uh-huh. Let's talk about that in a little, little more detail. So when would you still want to, you know, I'm, I'm a data scientist, I'm a data engineer. I'm, uh-huh. I, I, uh, when, when am I still going to want to use disk storage despite Aluxio? Yeah, so you still want to use it. Like say you have a lot of data you want to put on disk in the end. Uh, for example, like that's our under storage basically in the Alexio world, and uh, Alexio always works with at least uh, one or more under storage systems. Not in mo- in most cases. So I mean, we really want to work with uh, the state-based storage uh, systems well, and uh, and the goal is not to uh, let let replace them. The goal is to work with work with them and to improve the whole stack. That's uh, that's the way we see it. Yeah. Okay. So what is the future of the Hadoop ecosystem, and how does Aluxio fit in? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great question. So Hadoop ecosystem is a, is a, is a very big ecosystem. And, uh, and uh, there, are very, there are a lot of uh, pioneers in this ecosystem. Um, so how we are fitting together uh, is that uh, with Aluxio, we can bridge in uh, first of all, of course, we can improve the performance. But on the other side, we make people's life much easier as well as bridging uh, the, the traditional world with this, uh, with this ecosystem. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, from our perspective, Aluxio also works with, uh, with a lot more different types of ecosystem as well. That's, uh, that's where we see it. And, uh, and but, but come back to the Hadoop ecosystem, we will keep improving and uh, and uh, further um, to make our users experience better by improving performance and make uh, and improve the uh, uh, usability of the system. And where can people find out more about Aluxio and find out more about you? Oh yeah, definitely. If they Google uh, Aluxio, uh, they can go to our websites. Um, they go to our project websites, company websites. We have a lot more information there. Uh, in the meantime, if you are interested, of course, feel free to contact us as well. We'd be happy to help whenever it's uh, um, suitable. Okay, great. Well, HY, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Radio. It was great talking to you about Aluxio, and um, I wish you the best of luck. I'm really happy with your project. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Jeff. <laughs>